up? It's Raphael with the NBA Draft Junkie Show on the Nothing But Net channel on Dash Radio. And today, I'm releasing my Mock Draft 1.0. I want to say it's highly anticipated and it's something that a lot of people are waiting for, but this is based off the Tankathon standings. It is late. Well, it's actually early Monday morning. So the... The, the draft orders basically based off of the the games that were completed on Sunday night. Let's get right into it. With the first pick, it's the Detroit Pistons. And this is not a, a shocker to me that the Pistons are in this position. Simply because I had a lot of questions about their free agent signings. I just didn't know the direction that they were going in in free agency and it's paid off. It's worked off well for them because right now they are probably number one in the Cade Cunningham sweepstakes. Cade Cunningham is the number one player on, you know, I'm pretty sure most of the mock drafts or big boards that are out there. He came into the season with the expectations of being the, the number one pick in the draft, and he hasn't disappointed for those that don't know, I'm assuming you do. This is the NBA Draft Junkie show, so I imagine you are a college basketball fan or you keep up with the NBA Draft. But for those that don't know, I'll get into a few things about Cade. He has excellent size, strength, and fluidity. 6'7", 220 pounds. Point guard, point forward. I mean, he's just the perfect player in a sense for this positionless NBA Right now, he's averaging 18 points, six rebounds, three assists. The assist numbers, I expected him to be a little bit higher, but he's just done an excellent job carrying that Oklahoma State team. Um, he's a physical player. On the NBA level, he projects to be a good playmaker, creator, and shooter. Right now, he's shooting 38% from three, and the numbers don't necessarily tell the story simply because he's shooting a lot of tough, contested step-back threes and threes off the dribble. It's not like he's getting a bunch of catch-and-shoot opportunities. So the shooting numbers have been really impressive and actually better than what I anticipated. He makes all the right reads and the correct reads, even though the assist numbers don't necessarily show it. I've seen him compared to Luka Doncic. I've also seen him compared to Brandon Roy. He's a tough comparison because there's not a lot of guys that play like him. His game isn't based off of speed and quickness and athleticism. There are some that question his athleticism and his first step and his burst, but I think he makes up for it with his creativity off the dribble and his strength. I think that he could possibly play one through four in creative lineups. Now, I would not want to take the ball out of his hands. I think he's best with the, you know, the ball in his hands and being the point guard, but I think a creative coach can create mismatches with him. He can play the four because he actually has the size and strength, and he's just as big as some of the fours in today's small ball NBA. And like I mentioned earlier, he's physical, so he likes to post up. He does have the touch around the rim to be an effective post player, and he's also someone that if he's you know, effective in the post and the team looks to double, he can make all the right reads and passes. As far as the Pistons, you may say, why would the Pistons select Cade at number one, even though they just drafted a point guard last year? And I say the Pistons aren't in position to draft off need. You have to draft the best player available, which is Cade Cunningham, in my opinion. Now, there are some concerns about Killian, he didn't play a lot. He only played seven games, but he really struggled. And then you have the hip injury. I saw recently that he doesn't need surgery. He's out maybe eight weeks. But the hip is something that I just wouldn't play with. If I'm the Pistons, I shut him down for the year. But even then, when he did play, he only averaged four points per game and only shot 27% from the floor. And that's just through seven games, so it's a small sample size. But he only got to the free throw line twice. As far as the other point guards on the roster, Derrick Rose, I expect him to be gone at the trade deadline. If there is a trade deadline, I mean, <laughs> this is a weird season. Like, there, the trade deadline, I don't even think the date has been announced yet. The second half of the season hasn't been announced, but I don't expect Derrick Rose to be there. 
I think Hayes and Cade can play together. But another concern for me is the the Pistons and playing their young players. Now, I think if Cade goes number one, he's definitely going to play. Obviously, they started Killian when he wasn't the best point guard on the roster. But Sadiq Bey, Isaiah Stewart, and Sekou Dumbuya, their minutes have been inconsistent. I don't know if Casey is the right coach for a young team that's looking to develop players. But Detroit could also look at Evan Mobley. If they feel like Killian is their guy and they want to stick with him, Mobley would be a good choice there. Blake Griffin is on his last legs. And coming off that great season two years ago, well, in my opinion, I thought it was the best season of his career. And then he was injured last year, and there was some talk about him being healthy, coming back, being the same player. It just hasn't happened. Right now, he's only averaging 12.8 points per game, six rebounds and four assists, but only on 38% shooting. Now, Sekou, who I mentioned earlier, who I want to see get more minutes, he's also struggling from the floor, only knocking down 33% of his shots, only averaging four points per game. But hey, Jeremy Grant is having a breakout year. That was the big free agent signing for the Pistons. He's averaging 24 points per game. And he could be a good running mate for for Cade Cunningham. Again, Cade is my number one choice. And I think that would be the best selection or the only choice for the Detroit Pistons. But again, you never know. They sign like four bigs in free agency. So Evan Mobley could be a fit there. So Cade Cunningham, number one to the Pistons. Let's move on to the Washington Wizards at number two, and I have them selecting Evan Mobley. And the Wizards are bad. They are currently three and nine and giving up a league leading 121 points per game. Now, they were a terrible defensive team last year, and a lot of people thought, like, okay, they're bad, or they would be better if John Wall was there. Well, they ended up moving John Wall for Russell Westbrook. And they're still 3-9. and nine. Like, they probably would have the same record if Westbrook didn't play. Tough choice for Washington because Westbrook is, even though he's productive and he's putting up a triple-double, he's getting up there in age. He's been dealing with some quad injuries the last couple seasons. What are they going to do with Bradley Bill? That is the big question. I think you have to move him and totally, totally embrace a rebuild. I can't see Bill signing another extension. So I think you just have to move him. I haven't really thought too much about what teams would be the best fit for the Wizards as far as getting draft picks and, and young players. But again, I think Bill is definitely moved. But let's talk about Evan Mobley. He's seven foot, 210 pounds. One of the most fluid and agile bigs I've seen in a while. He's currently averaging 16.5 points per game, 8.6 rebounds, 2 assists, and 3 blocks. What I like about him is he has a unique skill set as a rim protector, ball mover, and inside-outside threat. I mean, you can use him as a vertical lob threat. He's only 210 pounds, so he's not going to be able to establish great low post position in the NBA, but he does have a soft touch around the rim. Like I said, inside-outside threat is what I see in his future. He's shooting 35% from three, but I definitely think those numbers can increase with time. He can face up, put the ball on the floor. He can attack closeouts. Like I said, a rare rim protector with passing instincts and playmaking ability. But if I'm the Wizards, I'm totally embracing a rebuild. I don't know what you can get for Westbrook, but I'm definitely looking to move Bradley Bill. And it's just kind of disappointing because I thought they would compete for a playoff spot with a healthy Westbrook and Bill, but they're just as bad with them as they are without them. So the Washington Wizards, I have them selecting Evan Mobley at number two. At number three, this is where it can get a little tricky. It's the Minnesota Timberwolves. Now, again, if you're just tuning in, this draft is based off of the tankathon standing so it's going off the order it's no lottery just going from the worst record in the nba so if you want to reach out to me and you're like how did i come up with these teams and these picks it's just based off the, the record so the minnesota timberwolves i have them selecting and this is tough because he hasn't even played a game i've actually seen the g league footage from one of the scrimmages 
and I know that Jalen Suggs would be the popular pick. Now, Jalen Suggs could end up going number two, or you'll see where I have him going on my board. But anyway, I have the Timberwolves selecting Jonathan Kaminga. Yes, I have them passing up the hometown kid. Jalen Suggs is from the Twin Cities. But no matter who the Wolves take, it would be a very interesting pick. I think Kuminga makes the most sense here from a positional standpoint. And the Wolves are a mess. They're currently sitting at 4-11. Now, I guess I've been a little bit harsh because Carl Anthony Towns has only played four of the 15 games. He missed time with a hand injury and now he's out with COVID. But prayers out to Carl Anthony Towns and his family. I read five or six of his family members have passed away from COVID-related deaths in 2020. If he took time away from basketball, I would totally understand. Now, I get it. Some will say he has a job to do. But luckily for him, he has the resources to take time off without it impacting his finances. I mean, 99% of us don't have the luxury of being able to just take time off from work because we work because we need the money to survive. I mean, he signed a ridiculous contract, so he doesn't necessarily need the money to to survive at all. And if he did take some time off, he would be able to, you know, just kind of grieve and, and not deal with the pressures of being an NBA player. But then again, of course, there's some that are going to say there aren't any pressures of being an NBA player. And also some may feel that playing basketball could be therapeutic for him. But either way, Kat, you have my support. But let's get back to the Wolves and this draft pick. They have to continue to lose if they want to keep the pick. So with everything that's going on right now with them being 4-11, and it's actually a good thing because if they fall out of the top three, their pick goes to the Warriors, which was part of the D'Angelo Russell, Andrew Wiggins trade from last year. The Wolves had the number one pick in 2020, and they selected Anthony Edwards. Now, he's coming off the bench behind Malik Beasley. He's currently averaging 12 points per game, but on 34% shooting, and he's only converting 27% of his threes. He also has 28 turnovers and 25 assists, and he's struggling with his shot selection, which shouldn't be a shocker to anyone. But he's in a tough situation because he's not better than Malik Beasley. And he's not going to play ahead of Malik Beasley. So unless they move Beasley and just give Edwards the keys, I see him in the, the six-man role going forward. But Kaminga is someone, like I said, he, it makes the most sense from a positional standpoint, 6'8", 210. I think he can swing between a three and a four and provide some balance for a guard-heavy roster. And I'm just looking forward to seeing him play in the G League bubble for the Ignite team. I'm curious to see if the team is competitive and if they can compete versus hungry G-leaguers looking to get a call up and how if the team's record has an impact on where him or the next prospect I want to talk about, Jalen Green, where they end up going. So Jonathan Kaminga, number three to the Minnesota Timberwolves. Again, Jalen Suggs is probably the popular pick there. I don't know if it makes any sense for them to bring in another guard. Unless they move Russell, but then again, if you move Russell, that may have an impact on Carl Anthony Towns wanting out. So the Wolves aren't aren't in the best position. But let's go to number four, and this is the team that looks good on paper, and they just actually lost to the Wolves a few days ago, but it's the New Orleans Pelicans. They are my most disappointing team this season. On paper, they look like a playoff team or at least a team that should be competing for a playoff spot. And in reality, they're in position to contend for the number one pick. Zion Williamson and Brandon Ingram are the cornerstones, but now it's up to the Pelicans to find complementary pieces to build around them. Now, this is my opinion. I'm just getting to it. Lonzo Ball, Eric Bledsoe, and Steven Adams are bad fits next to Zion and B.I. Now, let's talk about Bledsoe. His numbers are down as far as points per game, but he's shooting 44% from the floor, which is not bad, but he's converting 40% of his threes on a respectable 4.6 attempts per game. I think if you would have told them before the season that Bledsoe would put up those numbers as far as his shooting splits, they would have been proud. But I still don't think he's in their long-term plans. Now, as for me, I would look to move Lonzo Ball as soon as possible. I just do not see any improvements in this game. Now, he shot 38% from three last year. Well, 
a little under 38% from three. But he's back down to 29% this season. But it's on seven attempts per game. I want to say he's shooting 12 shots per game, but seven are threes. Like, why are you shooting that many threes on 29%? And I'm willing to bet most of his threes are uncontested. I'm not a big Lonzo Ball fan. I think that he lacks just confidence. Like, he just doesn't seem like a confident player. He he made, I guess, changed his shot, and he his numbers were respectable last year. But to me, based off of what I've seen this year, that looks like a small sample size. And don't get me started on his finishing at the rim, his lack of a mid-range game, and his poor free throw shooting. He's currently at... 39-29-58 shooting splits. Yes, you heard me right. 39% from the floor, 29% from three, 58% from the free throw line. How can you win when your point guard or ball handler doesn't want to get fouled because he can't shoot free throws? It's time to move on and let Zoe go. As far as this pick, Stan Van Gundy has a reputation for not playing rookies. And their 2020 lottery pick is averaging less than nine minutes per game. I really liked Kyra Lewis. I didn't like the fit for him in New Orleans simply because they have too many guards. But while I love to see him play more, he just hasn't been efficient with the little minutes he's played. And the Pelicans are playing at a slower pace than they were under Alvin Gentry. They're ranked 23rd in points per game. So with all that being said, I think that they should select one of the Three Jalen's in this draft. It could be Suggs, it could be Green, or it could be Johnson. But I think Jalen Green makes some sense here. Um, he could be the third scorer in a secondary perimeter shot maker that the Pelicans lack. While Suggs could be the playmaker and defender that also brings winning intangibles, it would create a log jam at point guard, especially if they can't move one of the two. Now, Alonzo's a free agent. They can let him go. I don't know what the market would be for Bledsoe. And then you still have Nikhil Alexander-Walker. And Alexander-Walker, in my opinion, is more so of a two. But you still got Lewis. And I think at some point, the general manager who selected him is going to want to see him play minutes. What GM wants to see their lottery pick only playing nine minutes per game. It would be difficult to pass up Jalen Suggs. But I think Jalen Green makes the most sense because I think that he could be... Like I said, the the third score, and I really like his upside as a as a shot maker. And again, the Pelicans have to figure out a way to find guys that just complement their two cornerstones. But let's go on to number five, and this is a big shocker, and it's only you know based off of fit or what makes sense. At the Sacramento Kings, I have them selecting Scotty Barnes, Jalen Suggs continues to fall on my draft board simply because of fit. The Kings definitely don't need Suggs. They have Darren Fox, who is, you know, their their franchise guy. I mean, they just paid him $163 million. But if I'm the Kings, I look to trade the pick. Even the event, if they keep it, Suggs just doesn't make sense. Even though he's the best player on the board, Fox is their guy. Tyrese Halliburton, who they selected in the first round in the 2020 draft, is looking good, and he's off to a strong start. I was not really high on Halliburton because I didn't think that he would look good in certain situations, but Sacramento is one of the situations that I thought was best for him. I thought he would have looked good in Phoenix. I thought if Golden State were to trade down, I thought he would have been a good fit there. But he's in a good situation for him because his style of play complements Fox. He can play with Fox. He can be the point guard in the second unit. And he, he's a good shooter and a good decision maker. But the concern right now is Buddy Hill. He's off to a slow start and his near career lows in field goal percentage and three-point field goal percentage. Now, there are some rumors about him being unhappy, so maybe it is affecting his play. But Scotty Barnes, I think, would be a good fit here. He will provide the Kings with a ball-moving defensive presence. How often do you hear that in a player outside of Draymond Green? And he, he's such a unique prospect because at 6'9", he's he's a playmaker, good passing instincts and vision. He makes quick decisions. He is a guy that I think is going to fill the stat sheets and put up triple doubles consistently. 
one of the things I like most about him is that he plays hard and he always looks like he's having fun. Now, there are some concerns about his offensive game and his lack of shooting, but Sacramento needs a glue guy that just plays a winning style of basketball and that makes an impact. They have a lot of guys that can put the ball in the basket. They have a lot of guys that, you know, do their job well, but I think they need another gritty guy that just does whatever it takes to win. So Sacramento Kings at number five, Scotty Barnes from Florida State. All right, the wait is over. Number six, Oklahoma City Thunder have them selecting Jalen Suggs out of Gonzaga. It's hard to see Suggs falling this far, which I still think he can go as high as number two. Now, Oklahoma City would be thrilled, absolutely thrilled to see him available at number six and pair him with Shea Gilgis-Alexander. The former Mr. Basketball and Mr. Football in Minnesota is quarterbacking a Gonzaga team that is number one in the nation, and they are just steamrolling through their opponents. They're 15-0, and only one team, which was West Virginia, and I think that's the game Suggs got hurt, which, if you remember the play, I, I thought, like, he had a serious injury, whether it was an Achilles or calf or something like that, but he came back in the game, which I was totally upset because I couldn't believe that they let him play with so much on the line for his future. But that was the only game where their opponent has lost by less than 10 points. That's how good Gonzaga is. But Suggs has been compared to Jason Kidd or Chauncey Billups. Some say he's a more athletic version of Chauncey Billups. He's averaging around 14 points, five rebounds and five assists with two steals. Now he got off to a hot start from three, but he's cooled off some and he's shooting 35% on three attempts per game. If you haven't seen him play, he's a very good athlete, has the burst and quickness you like out of a point guard. He's fast in the open floor and he thrives in transition. He's a shifty ball handler. He's a pretty decent shooter off the dribble again he got off to the hot start like I said the numbers have cooled off some but he is a pick and roll playmaker he does have some offensive creativity and I I know the Thunder would love to see him fall to number six but surprisingly they've been competitive in the first month of the season but I just see them sliding down the standings and towards the top end of the lottery which I know if you're a Thunder fan or even if you're just in the Oklahoma area, you want to see Cade Cunningham stay close to, I don't want to say home because his home is the Dallas area, but you want to see him stay in the state. And I think that that would be big for, for the Thunder to be able to have such a, a high profile name or fan favorite to be able to sell tickets or move jerseys or whatever be the face of the franchise because since they've been Oklahoma City, the fans have been spoiled with Kevin Durant, Russell Westbrook, James Harden. And even when all of those guys were gone, they still had Chris Paul. So um, having another marketable face or name to help out a small market would be great. But Jalen Suggs at number six to the Oklahoma City Thunder. And back on the clock again, it's the Oklahoma City Thunder. With the seventh pick, I have them selecting Jalen Johnson from Duke. So you got the Thunder with back-to-back picks selecting Jalen's. Now, as of today, OKC would have Miami's first-round pick from a deal that I think it took place back in, like, 2015. Now, the player who I have them selecting is Jalen Johnson. Now, Jalen Johnson is another unique prospect. He stuffed the stat sheet. And the thing about him is that he can look great one game and invisible the next, which is pretty concerning. For example, he had a dominant 19.19 rebound, five assists, and four block game versus Coppin State. Now, if you've been listening to my podcast, you've heard me mention this game every time I talk about Jalen Johnson, but he followed it up with an 11.4 rebound game on four of 11 shooting versus Michigan State. Now, I know, I know, I know. Coppin State and Michigan State are totally different. It's a huge jump in competition. But he had very little impact versus the Spartans. To prove my point, just this past week, he had a dominant performance versus Pitt. He posted 24 points, 15 rebounds, 7 assists, 4 blocks, and 2 steals. 
I mean, stuffed the stat sheet, and I mean, it's a mouthful to say. But only four days later, just four days later, nine points, four rebounds with six turnovers versus Louisville. Now, overall, I love his talent, his combination of size and skills and athleticism. I mean, he's mobile, he's explosive. I think he's at his best in transition as a finisher, a playmaker. He can make passes out of the high post. He can be a dominant rebounder, just depending on, I guess, how engaged he is. Because, again, there's games where he looks like he can average 10 rebounds per game. And then there's games where he just doesn't have great rebounding numbers. I would love to see him in the NBA in space as a screener or a short roll passer. As far as concerns, his touch, his shooting range, and free throw percentage are all something that I think he needs to improve on. Now, he's shooting 33% from three and 59% from the foul line. But in this case, unlike Cade, I feel like the percentage from three is not a reflection of his shooting touch. I've seen him shoot some bricks, I mean like some bangers, that just have made me question his overall touch as a shooter. But I still like what he can bring to the table. Again, I'm just kind of going off his upside. I've struggled a lot as far as deciding who I like better between Scotty Barnes and Jalen Johnson. Now, before I made my mock draft, I had Jalen Johnson above Scotty Barnes. But, you know, this is kind of the way the cookie crumbles. So, but at number seven, I got Jalen Johnson from Duke going to the Oklahoma City Thunder. Number eight is the Houston Rockets. And I have them selecting James Booknight from UConn. Yo, is it just me? But... It's just weird to see Houston in the lottery. They've been consistent and have been able to remain competitive for years going to two Western Conference finals without bottoming out. I mean, I off the top of my head was the Morris twin, and I don't even remember which one. I think it was Marcus. But was that their last lottery pick? Or was Terrence Jones? I don't know. But Houston is not a team you see in the lottery and like I said, they've been able to be competitive without having to bottom out. And a lot of that is due to the James Harden trade. But speaking of James Harden, since Houston's last game last season in the bubble, it has been a mass exit out of Houston. Harden, Westbrook, Robert Covington, general manager Daryl Morey and head coach Mike D'Antoni have all went their separate ways. They were able to replace Westbrook with John Wall, who looks like he's pretty close to his old self. He's still fast, which is something that I was wondering because he's he's got to be close to 30 now. And he was coming off not playing for two years and a foot injury. And his game was just so reliant on his speed and his athleticism. But he looks good so far from what I've seen. Christian Wood, he's been he's been great for Houston. He started this season off where he left off last season. He's averaging 23 points and 11 rebounds through eight games. So that's been the bright spot for Houston. But the blockbuster trade that sent Harden to Brooklyn, it brought them Victor Oladipo. Oladipo was rumored to be unhappy in Indiana. So it's not surprising that the Pacers decided to move him instead of risking and losing him for nothing in free agency, which is exactly what Houston may be doing. Now, the Oladipo to Miami rumor is something that we've been hearing for months, so it makes a lot of sense for Houston to look at selecting a replacement just in case Oladipo opts out to leave. And UConn's James Booknight is, in my opinion, the top non-freshman in this draft. He was off to a sizzling start before an elbow injury derailed his season. If you haven't seen him play, he's an athletic shot maker. That was averaging 20 points per game through his first six games. And his season was highlighted by a 40-point outburst versus Creighton. He can score off the dribble. He has a quick first step. He's an explosive athlete that can get to the basket. What I like most about his game is that he has some offensive creativity and the upside to be an isolation scorer. Right now, he's more so of a scorer than shooter. But I really like what he brings to the table and his upside. I think that he would be an ideal replacement for Oladipo. Based off of everything that I've been reading about their owner, he's looking to cut costs. I wouldn't be surprised at all to see him let Oladipo walk instead of paying him 
a, a max level contract. So James Booknight, again, is my choice for the Houston Rockets at number eight. Again, this is Raphael with the NBA Draft Junkie Show on the Nothing But Net channel on Dash Radio. This is my mock draft 1.0, and this is all based off of the Tankathon standings. So let's move on to number nine. It's the Orlando Magic, and I have Orlando selecting Moses Moody from Arkansas. Orlando's currently 7-10, and they just suffered a devastating blow to their season when Markel Fultz went down with a torn ACL. Now, when you consider Jonathan Isaac is already done for the season, and Evan Fournier has only played 7 out of the 17 games, Orlando has been competitive, and there's a few bright spots, so they still should be in the mix for a playoff spot. Now, one of the issues I have with Orlando is they invested $50 million into Markel Fultz, and they drafted Cole Anthony with the 15th pick in the 2020 draft. Neither one of their point guards are known to be high-volume assist guys, and Orlando ranks near the bottom of the league in assist. So much so that Aaron Gordon leads the team in assists at just a little over four per game. So that just shows you how much Orlando needs a a creator or a playmaker. Now, with Evan Fournier being a free agent this summer, I think it's very important for Orlando to find a possible replacement and another ball mover or creator. I don't think they're going to be able to find a wing creator at this point in the draft, but Moses Moody is... To me, a perfect fit. He's a 3 and D wing that rebounds and makes hustle plays. And I think he's a very underrated passer. And at the minimum, he's a ball mover. He just has the passing instincts to find guys and find open shooters, whether it's skip passes or cutters. I would like to see him play some pick and roll. Haven't really seen that in Arkansas. But I would love to see him used as a pick and roll playmaker to see if he can you know, make plays out of ball screens. But he has a nice pull-up game off the dribble. He has soft-touch finishes around the rim. One of my favorite things about prospects to look at is if they have soft-touch finishes around the rim. Right now, he's shooting 36% from three, but I think he projects to be you know, around a 38 39% three-point shooter when he's in his prime. Now, I wouldn't consider him a playmaker, but he has the passing instincts and vision to find teammates, which could help Orlando, which clearly struggles to score and move the ball. And they are one of the worst teams in the NBA as far as three-pointers made. So Moses Moody to Orlando makes total sense to me. Number 10. This is a tough one because it's the Chicago Bulls. And they have talent at every position. They're literally too deep at every position. And... They got off to a slow start. They lost their first three games. I think one of them or two of them may have been blowouts, but they've kind of settled in since then. But they'll have to decide what they're going to do this summer with Laurie Markkinen. I think that he's going to get a big offer in free agency, especially once I saw the contracts that were passed out. Now, you know, this year or 2020 was supposed to be a year that teams weren't going to do a lot of spending, but I saw Bertans got $80 million. So I think that uh, marketing is going to have a nice market for him. And he's been playing well this season. I know he missed some time, but they have a decision to make there. Zach Levine is off to a crazy good start. He's averaging nearly 27-5-5. and His name keeps coming up in trade rumors. It doesn't make any sense to me. But I, I keep seeing it in trade rumors, whether or not it's legit or if it's, you know, just some something that you see on Twitter. I don't know. But let's get into Greg Brown. Now, if you haven't seen this guy, he is a freak athlete. And when, I don't want to use that term loosely, but he is like the freakiest of the freaky athletes. He has a ridiculous vertical. I mean, I wouldn't be shocked if the dude can snatch a quarter off the top of the backboard I think that he has a very high upside as a defender that can defend one through four while being a rim protector. Now, he's averaging like 12 points, eight rebounds, and 1.4 blocks per game. He must improve as a shooter. I think he's still a little raw on the offensive end. Currently, 42-31-67 splits. I guess I should break it down. For those that don't know, 42% from the floor, 
31% from three and 67 from the free throw line. But Chicago could go in a lot of different directions here, and they could also have a new roster, a new core around the trade deadline, which, again, I don't know when it is. But I think they should take a chance on Greg Brown. He would help them on the glass as far as rebounding. And, again, like this type of athleticism, you just don't see. I think that he has the potential to be a game changer on the defensive end. So, Number 10, Chicago Bulls, Greg Brown from Texas. Moving on down to number 11, it is the Charlotte Hornets. And I have them selecting Dayron Sharp out of North Carolina. So he wouldn't have to go too far from home. In my opinion, he would immediately address their need for a center. Cody Zeller and Bismack Biombo, in my opinion, are both backup bigs that are playing major minutes. And even though Biombo played in Orlando and went to Toronto where he got the big <laughs> he got the big payday based off his playoff run he had, I wanna say like two thousand sixteen. And I think that yeah, that was the year that everybody got paid because the cap went up. But what's crazy is I was around the back then there were the Bobcats, but I had a friend that I was working with, he played for the Bobcats, and this was the 2013-14 season. And Zeller and Biombo were both on the team then. Like, just to name the guys on that roster, Gerald Henderson, Josh McRoberts, Chris Douglas Roberts, uh, Ramon Sessions, uh, Luke Rittenauer, uh, these guys are out of the league. That's how long ago it was. And Zeller and Biombo were like the two young bigs that the Hornet or the Bobcats were developing. And now it's time for one or both of them to go on. Now, they're probably pillars in the community because they've been there so long. But De'Ron Sharp to Charlotte makes sense here. I feel like the Hornets need a, a young big that can play with Melo and Gordon Haywood and whichever guard is still going to be there. Like, I wish I knew if they were going to keep the Rogier or Terry Rogier and Devontae Graham backcourt if they're going to break them up. But we all know that eventually Mello is going to get the starting job. As far as Sharp, he's a physical bruiser. He plays with energy. But I, what I like most about him is that he has a good feel for the game and upside as a passer. He's currently averaging 9.5 points per game and 7.7 rebounds, but only in 20 minutes. So you got to be a strong rebounder to average 7 0.7 rebounds per game in 20 minutes. I think that he has the potential to extend his range. I've watched some film. I've seen him knock down a couple jump shots. So I think that he has a touch to become a, a reliable shooter. Maybe not from three right away, but he should be able to extend his range to 15 feet and be able to at least knock down jumpers at the elbow. But he runs the floor, and that's something that is going to be important for Charlotte to find a big that runs the floor because you have to have good hands, and if you run the floor, he will reward you, but you got to be aware because, because he'll get a rebound and he'll whip it cross court. So, I mean, he's got to be one of the players that a big man or even like somebody like Miles Bridges or a vertical lob threat or a guy that's a rim roller, you would love to play with Melo. And speaking of being a roller, this is something I would love to see North Carolina use him as a role man. Now, I know college basketball, sometimes it can be tough to watch, even though this is like the field that I chose to watch college basketball and scout. It, it can be tough to watch it because the floor spacing is just so limited in college basketball the lane is congested I know teams can play zone but you see a lot of teams run traditional lineups with two bigs two post players so you don't really get a chance to always see you know like if a guy can make plays in space or if he's a quick decision maker or him as a role man because the spacing isn't there but De'Ron Sharp to Charlotte at number 11 again he won't have to go too far since he's already in North Carolina, but to me, this makes perfect sense. Number 12 is the Toronto Raptors, okay? Now, this is 
outside of Jalen Suggs falling, this is the biggest riser or probably the biggest shock on my board. And at number 12, I have the Toronto Raptors selecting Keon Johnson from Tennessee. You're probably like, whoa. I mean, I haven't seen anybody have him this high. Now, if there's any team that can develop talent and help players maximize their potential, in my opinion, the Raptors are the best at it. Now, Toronto, they're coming along slowly after a slow start. But what I love about the Raptors is they have a great developmental program, and I think this would be the perfect fit for Johnson. He is super athletic, super quick first step. He can attack the rim on straight line drives. Once he gets to the rim, he can use his athleticism to make acrobatic finishes. I also like how he's a hustle player. I think just based off of what I've seen, I think that he may have potential to be like Zach Levine. Zach Levine coming out of UCLA was known for being a great athlete. He didn't start at UCLA, if I'm not mistaken. Johnson doesn't start for Tennessee. But I see some similarities. I think maybe Levine was probably better of like a one-on-one player. But with Johnson, like I said, his first step is unbelievable for a guy his size. He doesn't have to have shake and bake or wiggle. He's able to blow by defenders just off his first step alone. I think he's a decent passer. I think that he has the potential to be at least a solid ball mover. Now, maybe the reason why I compared him to Levine is because he shows flashes of having a pull-up game. And with his athleticism, he's able to elevate over the top of defenders. He'll have to work on his ball handling, you know, in order to get to his spots to elevate over defenders and knock down the mid-range shot. But I I see the potential there. As far as transition goes, that's where he excels because it allows him to showcase his athleticism and his speed in the open floor where he can throw down momentum-changing dunks with his high-flying act. So I really like him a lot. And again, the Toronto Raptors have done an excellent job at turning projects into rotation players. So if they can turn projects into rotation players, imagine what they can do with a guy like Keon Johnson, who is a high-level talent. He's still a little raw. I think that they could turn him into a very good starter on a competitive team. So I don't know if Toronto stays in this position, but I'd love to see them take a flyer on a guy like Keon Johnson. All right, at number 13, as of today, again, this is based off of the Tankathon standings as of Monday, January 25th. It's the Golden State Warriors at number 13, and I have them selecting Cody Kispert from Gonzaga. This is one of those situations if Kispert is available where the Warriors selecting, it's like the perfect match for him. And he could possibly be the second Gonzaga player selected in a lottery. I think that he might be college basketball's player of the year if he can beat out Luca Garza, who's having a phenomenal year. But Kispert's averaging 20 points and five rebounds. Now listen to this. Make sure you're listening closely. 58-49-89 splits. 58% from the floor, 49% from three, 89% from the free throw line. I want him to get a 50-50-90. I think if there's anybody that can do it, it's him. But he'd be a perfect fit for the Warriors, like I said, simply because... One, he has a defined role, and he would give them another outside shooter. He can shoot off movement. He can put the ball on the floor on straight line drives. But he has a defined NBA role, which is something I love out of, you know, something I love to see. Now, imagine him in a lineup. Not saying he would start, but imagine a lineup with Steph, Steph Curry, Stephen Curry, for those that don't know, Klay Thompson, and Corey Kispert on the floor at the same time. (laughs) like that's just unfair and then with the development of Wiseman I think he should be a better player next year so I would love to see Kispert go to the Warriors but yeah I mean I I just think it makes sense for the Warriors if they're selecting 
and Kispert is available. I just think that he would give them another outside shooter that would make them unfair. And and Golden State should be a playoff team. And you look at the way they started and how they played without Draymond, but they've you know they're still a little inconsistent. But every team is outside of probably what the Lakers, Clippers, Sixers, and Celtics. But Golden State should be a playoff team this year. And I mean, getting Clay back next year definitely makes them, based off of what we know as of today. But if Clay can come back next year, I, I think it's the Warriors are going to be a contender again. All right, moving on. Fourteen, and this is—I want to say it's a shocker, but I think his name is going to be moving up different draft boards. But it's the New York Knicks at fourteen. Now, New York Knicks fans have been wanting a point guard for years. They have to be pleased with Emmanuel quickly, how he's played. Now, I'm a Blazers fan, and he had a big game last night against Portland. But I still have them selecting a point guard, even though Alfred Payton has been playing very well and the Knicks are competitive. And, I mean, it's so unfortunate that Knicks fans aren't allowed in the garden to be able to cheer on this team because they haven't had a lot to cheer for the last few years. But I think this player would be a good fit. It's Sharif Cooper from Auburn. He is arguably the most exciting or electric player in college basketball. He's only played five games, but in those five games, he's averaging 21 points and nine assists per game. Now, the shooting splits are, they're they're tough to look at. 39% from the floor, 20% from three, 79% from the free throw line. It's a small sample size. Again, it's only been five games, but he is electric. He has excellent speed, lightning quick first step. He's undersized, but he's a fearless driver. He is so confident in himself and his abilities. Like, he walks out on the court like, I'm the best player on the floor. His confidence kind of reminds me of Colin Sexton, just based off of confidence. Not saying they play alike, but just how... They just have this aura about them that they carry when they're on the court that no matter how bad they're playing, no matter if their jump shot is not falling, they're still very confident in the next shot going in. But as far as Cooper, he has very good court vision. Now, nine assists per game in college basketball is ridiculous, and Cooper has the vision. I think if he were to land in New York with his speed and how he gets to the rim, off dribble penetration, he would make Mitchell Robinson a very happy man. But as far as like getting to the rim, he is an aggressive attacker. He's averaging nine free throw attempts per game. Like, again, I know it's a small sample size, five games, but have we seen a player average nine free throw attempts per game while averaging nine assists? Sharif Cooper is is doing it. Again, small sample size. Now, the outside shooting will be an issue. He shoots this flat-footed, slow-set shot, and his shot selection is a little crazy, but that goes along with his confidence. I haven't seen him as high as a lottery on any draft boards because, again, he just he just kind of made his debut. But I like what I see. I think that he would just bring electricity to the guard. I know that's the word I keep using. And Tibbs has had success with small guards. I mean, from Nate Robinson to DJ Augustine. Long as you're a dog and you're competitive, Tibbs will find a way for you to get on the court. So thank you for listening. Again, this is Raphael with the NBA Draft Junkie Show on the Nothing But Net channel on Dash Radio. This is my first mock draft 1.0. I only did the lottery. Maybe next week I'll do picks 15 through 30. Again, the the draft order could change because this is based off of the standings for Monday, January 25th. But I'm out of time. Again, it's Raphael, NBA Draft Junkies, and I am out.